We just pause and say thank you to our guests from our church for leading us and helping us praise our Lord. Thank you. Don't worry. I'll be brief and they'll be back. I knew that would happen. It was just so, uh, we prayed about this day and sharing some ministry together. Excited to tell you about uh, some of the plans that God has laid on our hearts as we launch into a brand new series. Before we do this, though, I'm going to talk to you about something that's happening in the life of our church. You may have noticed the last several weeks as we headed into the fall now, I know it's a holiday weekend, but look around you. There are not a lot of empty seats. We've experienced uh, full rooms at both services over the last several weeks, and a lot of guests are coming, which is wonderful. If you're one of those guests, we're glad you're here. We want you to experience God's grace, grow in your faith, and learn how you can make an impact for the sake of Christ here at Chapel Street. But uh, we need to make room for our guests. And so we've been praying and working as a staff behind the scenes, and it's become apparent that we need to add a Sunday morning service here at Kesslinger Campus. So we're going to, oh, you sound as excited as I do. Yeah, yeah. So this is a great problem to have. But it's one we have to solve together. And so we, uh, I would ask you to scan the QR code and the seat back in front of you, each family. There's a brief, multi, uh, multiple choice. It's a simple click, seven-question survey to help us make this decision. Just so you know, we are launching a third service uh, in October. Uh, but we are still working out what the right times for those services will be. And we're going to ask those of you who are committed to the, to the mission here to choose one of the, the early or the late service. I know it's more convenient to come to the middle service, but we're going to have to do this together to make room for our guests. And so please scan the QR code, take that brief survey, and help us make this decision and pray about this decision that God would make room for the people who are coming to hear about his grace. Speaking of prayer, let's bow once more and ask God to speak to us. Father, you are worthy of it all. All things. Everything we have. All is a gift of your grace. Thank you for that reminder as we lift our voices that you alone are worthy. And we, Lord, now ask that you would speak to us through your word. Speak to our hearts and our minds that we might live for your sake and glory, your purposes in the world. We pray in your name. Amen. We launch a new series called Pathway to Purpose this week and then in the following three, so four weeks, talking about what, what is the purpose of the church in the world, not just Chapel Street, but the church. And specifically, we're going to talk about this this, this morning in terms of our corporate identity, the, the collection of God's people, the gathering. What's the purpose of the gathered community of faith? And the following three weeks, we're going to talk about your particular part in that, your role as part of the community of God's people in the world, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So collectively and individually, what, what are we about? What are we meant to be about as a church family? My wife and I have had the chance to travel uh, different parts of the world over the last several years, some for vacation, some for ministry purposes. One of my favorite things, and hers as well, is to uh, visit churches. Find little churches, country churches, out-of-the-way churches, famous large cathedrals, and so on. And I, I just like doing that, which may not surprise you. You're a pastor, and maybe that's expected. But I like to imagine, well, what was it like when this church was founded, established? Who are the people there? And what, what ministry history happened here? And what lives were changed over the centuries or years? Some of the images of my favorite ones over the recent years, image of a little church in the village in Ecuador that I happened to visit just outside of a, a, a little town called Baños in the jungles of Ecuador. I know the missionary families that helped found that church and many others just like it. The next one here, the Tubalenge congregation in rural Zambia. My wife and I there, uh, we look a little different than the rest of the congregation you can see. Visit that church. That was a, talk about, that was a two and a half hour worship service, and I was told it was one of their shorter ones. 
but it was wonderful to be there. Little, little missionary church in Kauai. We were there for our 25th wedding anniversary and found this little missionary church, the first church established on the island of Kauai. Yes, I know some people suffer for the sake of the Lord in Kauai. <laughs> this church, perhaps my favorite we visited, St. Edinburgh's Church uh, in the Cotswolds in England. A perfect summer afternoon, the sun shining in this little church graveyard, a stone church, 12th century. We're 900 years old. This little church, is, I just could have spent all day in that church. Then this church we visited just this past June. Anybody know the name of it? Hagia Sophia. Now a mosque, but it was the greatest church in all of Christendom for a thousand years. The largest dome until St. Peter's for a thousand years. Massive, massive structure. Incredible place in Istanbul, then Constantinople. These next two are among my favorites you'll see here in succession. Somebody, one of you, took that picture drive. I don't know why you laugh. Took that photo and sent it to me. And then this one, one morning driving in, I took that, that shot as well. The church is far more than a building, as much as I love visiting buildings and seeing what's God, what God is doing in them. Some of those buildings you saw are, are now museums. One's a mosque. Some are empty. Some, a few, are full of worshipers still. But they're just structures. These buildings were never the church. The church is the gathered people of God. The body of Christ, we're called. His body on earth to do his work. The people of God that are redeemed by the grace of Christ that brings us together and sent into the world to fulfill his mission that he's given us. Now there's a lot of talk today about the decline of the church in America. You probably heard it. You read articles about it. One recently that's getting a lot of traction in the Atlantic about why the people in America have stopped attending church. But attendance to a building is really not what the New Testament envisions when it says be part of a church. The body of Christ in the world. There's certainly lots to say about what the church historically has gotten wrong, where we've gone off track, where we've failed to live up to that which God has called us to. Pastor John Dixon uh, was with us last week. He'll be here again in a few weeks. Uh, a series where uh, on Saturday nights we're launching on the 23rd called uh, the, uh, Reaching, To Reach Our Neighbors for Christ called A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. encourage you to take advantage of that. But he was here last week talking to us as we finish up our series in Proverbs. I've referred to this many times. His book, Bullies and Saints, is one of the best books on church history for you, that you could read and that you could give to somebody who has questions about, is the church really good? Has it really done good in the world? It's honest about our warts and also about the amazing gifts God has given the world through the church. Here's a quote from his book that I really love. Christ wrote a beautiful tune which the church has often performed well and often badly. But the melody was never completely drowned out and sometimes it became a symphony. He takes the gospel and the mission of God in the world, the good news of Jesus Christ, as this beautiful tune that we're given to God's people. Sometimes we've played a totally different song and gotten it wrong. Sometimes we've played it out of tune. Sometimes we performed it beautifully and it's changed the world. We're going to look at briefly a passage that should be familiar to many of you. We look at it almost annually. This little vignette in the book of Acts, chapter 2, about the early church. This little snapshot of what the first church was like in order to learn and be reminded again of what we're called to, to be. Acts 2, 42 to 47, I'll read through it, you can follow along. And they, the Christians, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done for the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is one of the most famous little vignettes of the church. Scholars and historians, Christians and secular historians and scholars as well, are fascinated by the early church. How was it that this little group on the margins of society, I mean, the Jews in the Greco-Roman world were marginal, and the Christians were a a sect within Judaism, a small and, and, and inconsequential group of people. They didn't have positions of power. They weren't wealthy. How did it grow so rapidly? How did it turn the Greco-Roman world on its head? How did this happen? What was it? Well, we get some clear hints right here in the passage. We're told, and they devoted themselves. If we go back one slide. They devoted themselves. Notice here this word devoted. Pros cartereo, the Greek word. Continual commitment to an ongoing devotion to. They, they, this is not an emotional response once upon a time. This is not a, a casual like, social club that you attend once a week or whenever you're in town. This was like their life. We're committed to this thing, this mission in the world, a committed community. I want you to notice that, a committed community. No casual association here. I played football in college. You take that on faith now. But there was a day when I was athletic. <laughs> and, and every coach of every team that's, you know, I was always talking about commitment. Buy in. Give yourself to the program, right? And see what happens if, if all the guys on the team buy in. That's just a game. We're reading about these, this group of people on the margins of society that were 100% devoted, committed continually to each other and to Christ. And God did amazing things. So briefly, four commitments. First, they're committed to a message. There's so many ways to break up this passage. I just want to look at these four things briefly. They're committed to a message. Notice the first thing we're told they were committed to in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. A community of people committed to learning and growing together in the knowledge of God. Revealed in Christ. What were the apostles teaching? What, is it, what were those apostles, those, those disciples, those, those closest followers of Jesus who now were instrumental in establishing his body in the world, what were they teaching? Their own opinions? The latest cultural trends? Their best ideas? Greek philosophy? What? I'll, tell you, I'll give you a hint. It's one word answer and it's not C.S. Lewis. Jesus. They were teaching the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like the the faith entrusted to them, handed down, passed on. The church has always really only had one message. Lots of sermons, lots of different programs and outreach ministries, one message. Christ, 
Paul says, we preach Christ and Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. doesn't make sense unless you know him. And then he's all you got. We, we really only have one message here. The person, the ministry, the teaching, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other point for us to gather. John Stott writes, since the teaching of the apostles has come, to, come down to us in its definitive form in the New Testament, contemporary then devotion to the apostles' teaching for us means we're committed to the authority of the New Testament. And since the authors of the New Testament were 100% convinced of the biblical authority and inspiration of the Old Testament, then for us to be committed to the apostles' teaching means to submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God. All of it. The core message, of course, is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. For it is the power for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why would he say this? I'm not ashamed of this message. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Say that with me. The gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation. It's the only message. It's the only name given under heaven by which men or women can be saved. It's the whole ballgame. Everything we do is out of a commitment to that life-changing power of God made known in the world. This brings us to a commitment, committed to a movement. When you read through the New Testament accounts of the early church, you get this very clear impression that something's happening. I mean, there's, 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 there's something, God is on the move in these stories. People are being saved, lives are being transformed, they're getting healed, like things are changing rapidly. Numerical growth, deep personal spiritual growth, transformation of lives and communities. Something's happening, and it's happening like radically, powerfully. A dynamic power at work. The power of the Holy Spirit. We see this from the beginning of Acts. Go back and read Acts chapter 1. Jesus tells his followers in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, watch and pray. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They don't know what all this means. They gather together and they do what, they, what Jesus said. They pray. And then in Acts chapter 2 in the beginning, the Holy Spirit does come on this at Pentecost, on them at Pentecost. Filled with the Spirit, they, the manifestations of power, they're speaking the wonders of God in other languages. And many, many people hear it and are saved. A movement fueled by prayer, a deep commitment to prayer, and a deep confidence in the God who hears and answers prayer. Let's read through this passage one more time. They devote themselves, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The people of God are a praying people. And awe came upon them. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together at all things in common. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. I love this description. This was an ongoing daily thing in their lives. 
They're just living out their lives as best they can in full devotion to Christ. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. God is on the move. I have a good friend who's attending our church now, and I asked for his permission to share this story, but uh, he, he's uh, way smarter than me, which is not saying all that much. Uh, highly theologically educated. Uh, has led different churches and Christian organizations in a different denomination. It's a guy I highly respect. He's a published author. And he's, he and his family started attending here. And we went and had lunch a few months ago. And I sheepishly asked him, I'm so glad you're here, but uh, why are you here? <laughs> Which sounds weird for a pastor to say, why are you attending here? And he said, well, in a word, there's life here. I was so humbled, not, not because of me, because of what God is doing. He simply said, yeah, sure, there are theological differences, and, and this is not my stream, my tradition, but there's life here. Lives are being changed here. Something's happening here. Praise God. If that's true, it's all him. Praise God. Spiritual life. Dynamic power and activity of the Spirit moving in and through God's people. This is the answer to the question, what happened? How did this group on the margins change things? Third, they're committed to a mission. Committed to a mission. Committed to the mission Christ gave them before he departed and ascended to heaven. All authority in heaven on earth, he says, has been given to me, and therefore I'm telling you, my people, go and make disciples of all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue, teaching them everything I've commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How did they win the world when they were on the margins of society? How did this happen? Again, to quote John Dixon, he says there were really only four tools the early church had to make a difference, to make an impact for Christ. And they were prayer, persuasion, and by that he means sharing, talking, engaging with the culture about the good news of Jesus. Service, and suffering or sacrifice. Prayer, persuasion, service, and sacrifice. That's it. That's what the early church had at their disposal. Notice protest is not one of those. They didn't have a lot of wealth or power or influence or status. They had the power of prayer, the power of persuasion, sharing about the good news of Jesus and why he was worth, worthy of it all. Service, giving their lives away in service to one another and to the world. And then willingness to suffer and sacrifice for his name. And that, friends, was enough. You look at those churches that were on their screen a few moments ago, and this church, we're here because of that. Look at once more, Acts 2, 42 to 45. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together had all things in common. This, this phrase the fellowship here and all things in common, this is interesting. Their, their mission was a shared mission. The word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia. It means commonness. It means a sharing in life together. And this word down here, common, is the word koinos. It means uh, in common. So now, this was, no, this was no easy association. These people were all not coming from the same background. In Acts chapter 2, the apostles are preaching the word of God in different languages. Why? Because there were people in Jerusalem at that time for Pentecost from different language groups. 
different ethnic groups, hearing the word of God spoken in their language, being convicted in the heart, giving their lives to Christ, and joining this thing called the church. They have ethnic, cultural, and language barriers. And in our culture, those things divide us, typically. Racial, socioeconomic, language, culture, we, we don't, we, those are divisions, dividing lines. But they're not meant to be in God's kingdom. And what they, what they had that would otherwise divide them was nothing compared to what they shared in Christ. In fact, because of what they shared in Christ, those differences become a beautiful expression of their shared life and devotion. That's what the church is meant to be. You'll hear more about that from us in a minute. So they're committed to this mission, this shared mission. Tom Holland writes in his book, Dominion, no other religion took on so many different strata of society in the first century Greco-Roman world. It wasn't a rich person's religion. It wasn't a poor person's religion. It wasn't the elites. It wasn't the, no other religion movement took on so many in, so many different people from all strata of society. And these Christians. This is our purpose as a church. We say we want to be a church for where you are. Physically, geographically, spiritually, relationally, wherever you are. And there was this powerful connection between their, their message and, their, and their, their, their life. A church committed to Jesus is committed to telling others about him and living for him. Once more, day by day, this lifestyle. Notice this phrase. If you go to the next slide there. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Favor, this is the Greek word charis, means grace. Do you think Christians today, by and large in America, have favor with all the people? Well, what, again, I, I know I've quoted John three times now, but this is the fourth time I've quoted John Dixon. Uh, <laughs> He talks about there's two Christianities in people's heads. There's the Christianity that you associate with the mainstream media. What do you hear in the news? Angry, alt-right, against everyone. And then there's the Christianity of, but not my neighbor, not my auntie, not the guy down the street. Here's the vision for us. Let's be the second kind. Let's be the kind of Christian down the street that, well, yeah, yeah, maybe that's true, what I hear on the news, but I know them, I know that family, and they're wonderful. I love them. I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I'm glad they live on my street. They're kind, they're gracious, they're good. That's what it means to have the favor of the people. And notice that last part. The Lord added to their number daily. Who added to their number? Oh, you have to say it louder than that. Who added to their number? The Lord. The Lord. Don't miss that. It's their shared life, their commitment to one another, their deep devotion to the power of the gospel, and just living that out every day that God uses. It's an, there's an attraction, an undeniable attraction. 
Last, they were committed, of course, to a man. All these commitments really are about commitment to Jesus, the man Jesus. Absolutely convinced that he is who he claimed to be, the son of God, the risen and reigning king, the savior of the world. And that their commitment to him was only because they were rock solid convinced that he was already committed to them. And that his death was actually their victory. That, that to you sounds normal. Yeah, yeah, we get that. That was crazy town in the first century. His death on a cross as a condemned criminal was their victory in the world. And it's ours too. This is why Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, Peter and John put it this way. This Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that last line. They saw these guys, they're common. They're ordinary. They're not wealthy. They're not highly educated. There's nothing special about them. What gives them such confidence and boldness and what's happening through them? No other explanation except for what? Jesus. I'm going to finish with a long quote from a a scholar named Tom Holland, a historian from his book, Dominion. It's a long book. This is a long quote from a long book. It's excellent, though. And, and, and I, I, this, when I read this and was shared with our preaching team, it was so compelling. I thought, I want to end with this. I want you to hear this quote. To be a Christian is to believe that God became man and suffered a death as terrible as any mortal has ever suffered. This is why the cross, that ancient implement of torture, remains what it has always been, the fitting symbol of the Christian revolution. It is the audacity of it the audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe. That serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity and of the civilization to which gave it birth. Today, the power of this strangeness remains as alive as it has ever been. It has manifested in the great surge of conversions that has swept Africa and Asia over the past century. In the conviction of millions upon millions that the breath of the Spirit, like a living fire, still blows upon the world. All are heirs to the same revolution. A revolution that has, at its molten heart, the image of a God dead on a cross. I read that probably two dozen times. It kissed me every time. Friends, if you belong to Jesus, you're part of that revolution. Tom Holland, when he wrote this, I don't think is even a believer. In fact, I'm not exactly sure where he is now, but he's inching his way toward Jesus. But he gets it. That strangeness and that power is as alive and well today as it ever was, including in Acts chapter 2. Doesn't mean we get everything right. We fail and we fall down and we fail to live up to what God has called us to, but that power is alive and well in his people. And, and I want so desperately for, for my life and our life as a church to be part of this revolution in the world. Not just play in church in the suburbs, but part of the revolution of Christ in the world. 
And I want really to partner with other people who have the same vision and desire and passion, individuals and churches. And that's really the main reason why I invited our friends from our church in Elgin to come and, uh, and, and worship and lead us in worship. Because they have the same vision too. We're part of the same revolution. And I, I want you to get to know Pastor Danny Flores through the video that's going to roll in just a moment. And hear his heart. And then the two of us will come and talk to you about something God has put on our hearts that we could do together. So let's watch this. My name is uh, Daniel, but people call me Danny. Born and raised in Mexico till the age of uh, 17. That's uh, when I made up my mind to come into America. If I can be brutally honest, I mean, I was here illegally. Um, Had to work under a different name. I had no worker's permit, but I had to survive. And that's kind of what I did. And a few months after I got here and started working, there was a church in the neighborhood that was doing outreach in the trailer park where I lived. And I remember just being outside, getting high. I was lost. I had been addicted um, to drugs since the age of 13. I remember this church came and they were just going trailer by trailer and they stopped at ours and uh, they asked me how I was doing. Um, I had to pretend I was fine and they noticed that there was something wrong with me and they said, hey man, listen, uh, we want to invite you to church. I said, yeah, 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 when is it? They said Sunday. So I went to church that Sunday and I remember just sitting in the back and some sitting there and the pastor's preaching. I felt like nobody was there and the church was packed, but I just felt like nobody was there and I felt as if he was talking to me. Um, And I remember just crying in the back, crying. I was lonely, I was afraid, I was stuck, I was in chains, I was in bondage, I was addicted. But I remember that day, like if it was today, just the message of the gospel, right, piercing my heart. At that moment, Um, I felt that the Holy Spirit was telling me, right, uh, you're going to be a pastor one day. From the moment I gave my life to the Lord and the pastor started discipling me, and then I started serving in the church, and then um, I had to uh, work in the morning, and then I went to do uh, ESL classes, uh, English as Second Language classes at night, and then right afterwards, uh, there was a GED class. Here I am learning English and at the same time trying to you know, be up to speed to the education of the United States because I was in Mexico and I only went to fifth grade. So it was so hard, but um, that was like, I'm sorry. That was like the step to, to like be able to um, go into ministry or, or study to be a pastor, right? And I was so passionate, so I'm sorry. It's, just brings back memories of those times because it was hard. Like being illegal in the country, right? It was tough. I'm so passionate about immigrants. I'm so passionate about serving the Latino community. That's why I'm I'm so passionate about hurting those who struggle with addictions, those who, you know, are lost and because of where I come from and I I take it as, man, that's the journey that the Lord allowed me to go through to be able to now serve Him and serve His people and to many the least of these, right? I 
Spanish-speaking people that are in the country, that come from other places, that are, you know, first-generation Latinos, we definitely feel out of place. We already assume that people don't want us here, right? We assume that. It's not, it, it might not be the case, but we assume that. So sometimes we're even afraid to make eye contact, right? Because it's like, no, I, I, I shouldn't be here. This is not my home. So how can the American church integrate the Latino church into what the Lord is doing, right? There are certain things that are obvious, right? Like utilizing resources and, and being generous above and beyond is, 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 is you know, that's a given. Like I've, I, I think many churches do that. But one thing is uh, the relational part. The gospel is about relationships. So it's what's it was, it was, it was going to make the difference. It's making the effort, right? To maybe you're not going to be the best of friends, but if you can some way, somehow build a friendship, a relationship with someone in your community that doesn't look like you, that might not have your background, your social status, right? And that you can start to build some type of relationship with them. Um, it's going to be very impactful. Since the month of uh, April, we started uh, something called Capilla, which is an all-Spanish church in the South Street campus. You guys have this, this thing at, at Chapel Street that uh, says for where you are. For Capilla, we decided to do something that's called Para Todos y Para Donde Estés, for everyone and for where you are. The thing is that um, in our culture, in the Latin American culture, when you come into a country that is not yours, you want to know if you are welcome, right? Because not many people feel welcome. So for us, we wanted them to know that they are welcome. There's a story about a young man who came to the Lord there, right? Lost, just like Danny when he was 17. Lost, hurting, in pain, and gave his life to the Lord in one of our family nights that we had, one of our worship nights. And two weeks ago, he got baptized there on outside of the South Street campus. We did it just for him, but we did something very special for him. And um, his family was there, and it was just awesome. His family's restored. He's serving the Lord. He's he's has been healed. You know, it, it's just amazing to see, right? That we haven't even started. People are already coming to the Lord and already getting baptized and and being discipled. You know, and that's what Capilla is all about. You know, just reaching the least of these, reaching those who are lost. It doesn't matter where you come from, right? And for us, um, doing it for him was like, man, this is not about the great numbers. But this is about that one soul right, that needs to know Jesus. That same feeling that I had when, when I gave my life to the Lord and I was being called into ministry is, 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 is the same feeling and, and the same confirmation and the same calling that I feel now that the Lord is calling us to do Capilla. This was being prepared in Mexico, you know? 13 years old when that kid was lost. Isn't the gospel amazing? Danny, will you come on up? Let's welcome Pastor Danny Flores. Yeah.
Uh, one, of, one of the great gifts the Lord has given me over the last year is uh, becoming dear friends with Danny and his family. And um, you heard a little bit of the vision of Capilla and what the, God has uh, put on our hearts to do together. But first, I want to, maybe you could tell us, I've said the word our church. What, what is our church in Elgin? Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a letter R. And what we wanted to do was uh, for people to ask, really, hey, what does the R stand for, right? And so the R stands for a place where you can be restored and where you can restart, where you can be refreshed and be renewed by the power of the gospel. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. And this, you, you have to hear the story. Tell, tell everybody how you first got connected to Chapel Street and to us. Yeah, so my wife and I, we were in Florida, and um, we were at a marriage retreat, and we're in the 11th floor um, at this hotel, and we're waiting for the hot tub. There was a lot of people in the hot tub, so we're just kind of looking out the window. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and we're like, ah, you know, let's just wait a little longer. Let's wait. Finally, right, because we're going to close at 12. Finally, I could around 11. Uh, everybody just kind of takes off. We're like, okay, man, we got to go, right? So we just... Went down. By the time we got there, there was another couple coming into the hat tub that was thinking the same thing in the 13th floor, I think. They were thinking the same thing. And uh, they get in the hot tub. We're there. And then all of a sudden, this person asked me, this man, he, he, he asked me, he's like, hey, you know, how are you guys? What are you guys doing here? I was like, oh, we're here for a retreat. And we knew they were the guest speakers. It was Pastor Brian. And <laughs> yeah. And then he says, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from, uh, you know, Elgin. He says, oh, we're not too far from there. Uh, and then I said, yeah, you know, we pastors, we pastor out there, our church is called Archie's like, I know about our church. So, you know, we just started talking. We, we kind of share a little bit of our story. And then, um, pastor said, uh, Hey, look, here's my email. And, um, I would love to talk a little bit about how, you know, the Lord can do something with us together. And we had been praying for a long time because we wanted to launch a church, another church. We planted a church five years ago in the city of Elgin. But the Lord has had, had placed in our heart to launch another church. We just couldn't find the place, couldn't find the time. I mean, they were, we didn't have the resources. And when Brian gave me that email, I said, yeah, here's just another guy who's given an email, right? He's never going to answer. He's never going to reply. He says, yeah, when you get back, you can Isn't email me. Is that what you me. think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> and um, so we got back. And the first thing I did when we got back, I emailed him. And within hours, he sent me a day. He's like, hey, can you meet me at this place? And I said, for sure. And the place was the, the official meeting place for uh, Chapel Street, which is Panera Bread. <laughs> for real. Every meeting I've had with the different pastors from this church, like four different pastors, has been a Panera Bread. And every time we're there, it's like 20 of you guys in there. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so we met there. And after that, we yeah. just started dreaming. And then I met with you. And yeah. We just started talking about what the Lord could do. They met in the hot tub. I think that's great. <laughs> but I want you to hear this. Danny was praying about what the Lord would do to, to launch it on their church. That they were unable to do it on their own. Well, we've launched two campuses, Mill Creek and North Aurora, in recent years. And I've been praying, our team is praying about, well, where's the next one you want us to go after, Lord? We tried. We looked at buildings and different churches. That was too expensive. They were too weird. That was just, nothing worked out. <laughs> nothing was worked out. And then they meet in a hot tub, right? <laughs> And we began praying like, oh, Lord, this is what you have for us. So uh, what, what, what Danny was praying about, what we were praying about, the Lord brought us together to do something that, quite frankly, they're doing things we can't do. But they want to do things that they couldn't do without us. And I think, how beautiful for us to do this together. It's not a Spanish service just meeting in our building. It's together we're going to launch a church. 
to reach more people for the glory of God. In fact, the, the pastor in training who's going to uh, be part of the leadership of that uh, church is J.J. Atide. He's sitting right there. Stand up, J.J. Wave to everybody. Yeah. yeah. He's part of our pastoral residency program and being trained uh, under Danny and Pastor Brian uh, in, the, in the years to come to take over the leadership of that, that congregation. You're going to hear more about Capilla uh, coming in Easter, but um, would you just lead us in prayer before we uh, worship the Lord one more time? Amen. Dearly Father, Lord, we're just so grateful and so honored to be here worshiping with your people, with my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord, for this great opportunity that you have given us, not just to worship you together, but now to working the kingdom together to work for you this is not about our church and this is not about chapel street and this is not about capilla this is not even about us this is about you god and this is about those who are lost so lord we honor you and i pray lord that everything that we do the way we relate to each other the way we love each other the way we work together will bring honor and glory to uh, to you in jesus name we pray amen Father, you are great, and you are good, and you are worthy of all our praise and all glory and honor. We thank you that you've called us into your family by your grace, given us a place at your table, and sent us as your people into the world to carry out your mission, to make your goodness, your greatness, your love and mercy known. We give you all the praise, and we thank you. Lord Jesus, amen. Amen, and go in peace.